Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season eight, episode 10. Today on the podcast, we have Brady Shearer. You may know him from his spicy comments on social media. If you're part of the media church world, you've probably heard of Brady Shearer and his brand Nucleus and Pro Church Tools. I'm excited to talk to him today. And thank you so much, of course, to our sponsors for making it possible, the Compassion Canada, amazing people doing justice work around the world as they partner with the local church. And also Four C's, the Canadian Center for Christian Charities. They act like an extension of your staff team. So our amazing opportunity with both of them. I'll talk to you about that later. But for now, before we dive into the conversation with Brady, let me tell you a bit about him. Brady Shearer is, I've said, is the founder of Nucleus and Pro Church Tools. With his team, he's got this small team that he has been serving churches with for about a decade now. And they've bootstrapped it, they've innovated it, and they've become a growing company doing incredibly well with not only just sales, but also social media followers, engagement in their accounts on YouTube and Instagram and podcasting and all this stuff. They serve congregations for the long haul. That's their goal. And they're trying to help churches lead people to Jesus. So can't wait to dive into the conversation with Brady. But before we do, reminder, this conversation, as well as the whole archive of eight seasons are on YouTube. Check out our channel, subscribe there if you want to catch not only just every podcast when it comes out, we've got all kinds of back catalog with people like, you know, Brady Shearer, but we've also got Carrie Newhoff, or maybe you want to check out John Mark Comer, or maybe you like Priscilla Shire or Danielle Strickland, or, you know, there's all kinds of names. Go check it out. And also we have tutorials coming out there every single week, free tutorials to help you get better at what you do every single day with church communications, strategy, media, creative, go check it out. All right, here we go. Here's the conversation with Brady Shearer. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Brady Shearer, welcome to Word Made Digital. It's fun to have you on the podcast. I appreciate the invite, Joanna. Thanks so much. Yeah, in some ways I feel like it's about time because, uh, well, first of all, we don't live that far from each other. I'm in Toronto. You're you're maybe two hours at the most away from me. Hour and 10 from the Toronto airport. So, you know, it really depends (laughs) on where in the six you are. Okay, I'm downtown, like in... uh, you know, like by the Eaton, by the Eaton Center. If that sure. Yeah. A little longer then. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm glad to have you on the podcast before we go too much further, there will be people who know who you are, but maybe people who don't. So please introduce yourself. Certainly. So, uh, my name is Brady Shearer. I like to mention Canadian. I live in Niagara on the lake with my wife, uh, and daughter. I run a company called Pro Church Tools, and uh, within that company, a platform called Nucleus, which is a church software platform, website builder, donation software, CHMS, 
kind of all in one suite like that. Uh, started the company third year of Bible college where I went and studied to be a youth pastor. And that was about 10 years ago. So we've been running the company for 10 years now. We're about a team of 15 at this point. Uh, 3,000 plus paid subscriptions using Nucleus, our, our main platform. But really, uh, the driving force of everything that we've done since day one has been uh, content creation and educating churches, as uh, we like to say it, navigate this biggest communication shift in 500 years. So podcasting, if you are into podcasts, we have the Pro Church Tool Show, our YouTube channel, TikTok, Instagram, blogging. Just been basically helping churches learn these digital skills as they become more and more a part of our everyday uh, life in the world. Yeah. Well, and there's lots of things I kind of want to get into your brain about today, but you know, maybe let's just start here. Uh, you, you have become an entrepreneur and, and I'm curious to know if that's how you've always wanted to be like when you were a kid, did you see this as a direction uh, or, uh, you know, or, or were you like the ministry was my thing? Obviously you were in Bible college and this sort of happened like a happy accident. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a little bit of both because I remember I grew up in a really small Baptist church, like 20 people. We didn't even have a PA system. So we would just have acoustic guitars, preachers wow. at the pulpit without a microphone. And what I do distinctly remember about our pastor is that he, you know, he wore a uh, jacket and tie and he always had a briefcase. And I remember sitting in church at that time, not especially interested, but thinking, wow, one day when I grow up, it would be so cool to like wear a suit and go to work in like a big high rise building with a briefcase and I could be like a businessman. <laughs> and, uh, you know, business has fundamentally shifted at least the possibility of what business can be uh, since the advent of the internet. Uh, but then the other the other side of that was also ministry. I remember uh, finding my place in church, finding my faith uh, at a Pentecostal church that I started going to youth group. And I found for the first time really belonging as a awkward adolescent in that church. And I had this great desire to, to be in ministry and kind of similar to like my friends outside of the church world who would be in high school, look up to their teachers and they'd be like, I guess I'll become a teacher. Kind of looking up to my youth pastor being like, <laughs> I guess I'll become a youth pastor. I right. went to Bible college and a few years in, I started to realize like, I just don't have the relational bandwidth to be a good minister, especially of youth. Like They just need so much of our time and energy. And uh, I'm an introvert, so I don't get recharged being around people. I enjoy it, but it's draining for me. And I kind of just was assessing my own limitations and like, okay, I want to serve churches. Like I want to work with churches, but I also don't think I'm going to be a good fit for vocational ministry as a, as a pastor working with people. Uh, and that was where I started exploring my interest in creative media and the world of digital. And so that's where uh, the idea for Pro Church Tools came out. I just bought the URL, the domain. I'm uh, experimenting with WordPress themes, trying to figure out how to get like the theme to look how I want. And then I start a podcast, start publishing blog posts because I and had th- been- Was this like 10, are you talking like 10 years ago? That's right. Or this ish? is third year of Bible college. So that's 2013. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I was also in that same time hired on as the media director at my local church and so I'm doing that 20 hours a week, and they basically put a DSLR camera in my hand, gave me a MacBook, and said, okay, all of the media side of things we want you to do, so just learn it. 
And so I was just picking up the skills as I went. And then I'm back in class the next day looking around to my peers and I'm thinking, once they get in ministry, like, yeah, their official title is going to be worship pastor, but then lead pastor is going to go to them too and be like, hey, like we need a Facebook page back in 2013. And yeah, so literally, I'm like, like, we need someone to figure out how, ins- like, turn on, like, start Instagram, open an account. How does this work? <laughs> and, like, precisely. nobody got trained in that. Yeah. So I figure if I'm learning these things on the fly, others can and will need to. And who there's not really anyone creating that kind of education content. So I'm just going to start making videos on how I'm learning, and hopefully others can learn as well. Um, and, and who was, who was some of your inspiration, you know, to start, maybe, maybe you can't even think of who it was anymore, but I'm curious, maybe even today, like some of the inspiration, because, uh, you have like, um, as everyone would, you have like your tone of voice, you have like a brand look in terms of like your approach to how you talk. Um, you know, there's, there's something, uh, sort of like that reminds me of some other people on the internet in what you do. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean like, oh, there's sort of like this Gary V, you know, swagger to you or something. So I'm curious, like what were some of the things that were inspiring the content creation side? Like, were you looking at people doing it in other industries and saying the church needs this too? Yeah, I think that's uh, a pretty good insight because uh, I feel like when you're trying to discover your own voice, at first, you're basically just copying others. Uh, and then the more you copy others, the more you kind of like take pieces and bits that resonate with who you are deep down. And then other parts, you're like, hmm, okay, I, I tried on, it's kind of like, you know, fashion. I, I tried on, it looks good on that person, but it doesn't look good on me. And then you try on something else. It's like, oh, it looks good on them. And it looks good on me. Okay, so I'm going to keep this. I'm going to discard that. And then you do the same with another person and another person. And then eventually you publish enough, you create enough, you hit record enough, and you feel like, okay, I'm starting to develop my own voice, which is really this uh, combination of all these different influences. And so something that I've I've done naturally and now kind of systemized because it's, it seems to be helpful for me and what I'm trying to accomplish is I'll look at creators outside of the church space and I have a lot of different interests. And so I'll like listen to how they speak and, and in the world of social, like, Oh, that's how they design their thumbnails. Interesting. Okay. So they start their videos this way. So as a really practical example, lately I've been getting into fragrances, which is a really obscure like (laughs) world niche, but there is a huge like group of YouTubers for like men's fragrances. They call themselves like frag heads, as in like fragrance heads, which is the worst possible name, frag head. (laughs) It's awful. It's not drawing me in so far. All right. No. So I've I've been watching a lot of these videos because it's just something I've been interested in. Yeah, sure. And they're their own little niche and they do their videos in a way where, okay, so they need to promote, okay, but they do it in this way and they, a lot of them publish videos every single day, which is really weird or not weird. It's unusual for the creative space where like, that's a lot of work. That's a ton of work. If you're talking daily content. Yeah. And like, so how do you even come up with ideas? So now I'm like kind of just reverse engineering, like their content archetypes and their frameworks for how they're able to make 365 videos a day. And so like you take a little something from there, something from there. And that's just recently. 
in the last six months. I mean, so I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, whether it's fashion or fitness or fragrances or creatives or other people in the church world, just kind of like studying their own methods and kind of bringing it into your own game, uh, into your own creative process. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you're you're saying this because one of one of the things I often say. Uh, so I've been doing Word Made Digital. Like I left uh, full time pastoral ministry, ch- local church, mega church work about three years ago. And uh, what I often say is like for not maybe not for everyone, but for me, and I think it's a common experience. What you start in is because of your expertise, but the thing that will like so in whatever the thing is you're good at selling or doing is the reason you start the business. But then running a business is like an entirely different skill set or like thinking. So I like how you're, you're, you're talking about this reverse engineering idea. Um, what, and maybe, and maybe for other people, it's like, they're a business builder first. And in some ways it didn't matter if they were selling cars or ice cream or church products. Uh, they love business and like they, uh, they think of that thing first, and then then on top of that, they're going to add the the expertise of you know the product or service they do. Wh- which maybe which angle do you come at it from? Well, it's certainly one of the biggest challenges I think of running your own business, and I really like talking about this with other business owners. So this is a common subject that my barber and I will discuss because he runs his own shop or I was at the dermatologist last week. And so I'm asking the dermatologist, okay, like you obviously have, you're a doctor, but you're also running your own practice. And, and so you have to be both. You need your craft and then you also need the kind of corporate organizational side of things. And I don't think it's something that gets talked about too much when you start your own business. Uh, at my dermatologist uh, appointment last week, uh, last Friday, uh, I'm with one of the nurses or one of the techs. And, and she says, this is my final 30 minutes at this job. And I go, wow, okay, that's pretty cool. She's like, I've been here like this many years. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm starting my own um, practice. And so I'm going to be doing, you know, facials and doing all these sort of things. And then we were talking about like, sh- certainly she's been at this practice for the longest time. She's really skilled in the actual, oh, I can do a facial especially well. Now she has to do all of the accounting and the taxes and the marketing and the sales and the hiring eventually and then team management yeah. and it it really never ends. I mean, we started doing work uh, and we have two companies now it's where one is in the States and, and one is in Canada and then there's another entity that, that owns both. And so now it's like, like multinational and that was a brand new challenge in the last 24 months that brought about it like new accountants and you know, we had to hire an accounting firm that advertises at the Jays games like their name is on the, <laughs> I was like okay now this is like the big leagues no pun intended like so it there's always a new challenge as well yeah at the same point I also need to be getting better at my craft at all times like I you know TikTok is evolving and Instagram is evolving and and so me as a creator I need to be continuing to hone my skills and improve my craft in that way as well so it's uh it's really never ending yeah yeah it and and I think some people you know there's in the hustle culture or the there's so much content out there about people going out and making whether small money or side money or big money, doing their own business. It's it's fashionable because there is so much opportunity in the digital world. But then people get into it and they're like, oh, I'm not sure I was cut out for this. Because you got to do the accounting and the hiring and the HR and the, you know, financial forecasting and I don't know, whatever the hundred other things are that you do as a business owner. 
Um, and so let's talk about that in terms of uh, like what I would call like the pivot, or maybe it's the um, like how risk adverse a person like you might be, because I've seen um, like my understanding is, and, and correct me if this isn't, if this is the wrong timeline, but at, at a very early on, you guys were doing like announcement videos. Like that was the business. Um, and you're nowhere near doing, like you're not doing anything like that now in terms of what you would sell to, to clients and to churches. So how have you made those pivots? Um, what were the things that uh, made those changes happen for you? Um, when you think of moving from maybe one product to another, like how did, how did you know it was time to change? Um, kind of open, I'm, I don't know, broad question trying to, to get into this part of your brain. Sure. So the one constant since the beginning of the company has been building our audience, building trust, creating free content, educating. That has been the constant from day one till now. We're just as invested in that now as we were 10 years ago, and we are even more invested going forward. But our product offerings have changed. So at the beginning, we did productized services. This is uh, agency work. Many listeners will be familiar with that. So we did video announcements for churches. We'd work specifically one-on-one with clients. They'd pay us a monthly retainer. From there, we moved to... Uh, digital products. So I was making courses and eBooks and and that sort of thing. And then the final stage where we're at now was pivoting to software. And software has been by far the biggest challenge. Uh, It has also been the most rewarding uh, from a business standpoint. And so we were about five years into the business. So this was about five years ago. And I was taking inventory of where we were at that point. And it felt like, you know, if something ever happens, yeah, I don't know, economically or in the church space or like, it's really tough to like see a a runway with only digital products. And I, I wasn't loving doing the agency work ongoing either, because since the start of the business, my main reason I started the business was because I wanted freedom of time. And I was Agency newly married. Work. Yeah, that can be a time t- sucker. I yeah, exactly. And we had created really good systems, so it didn't even require too much work from me, but it required a bunch of work from our employees. And so basically, I was just forecasting, and one of our company's values is clear the runway. And, and the idea behind that is that we want to be able to do what we're doing for as long as possible without having to make like really unfortunate compromises or choices that like, hey, in an ideal world, we wouldn't make this decision from the business standpoint, but hey, we, we, we've got to, to run payroll. And so pivoting to software was kind of our, our big uh, gamble on that. We had about a million dollars saved in the bank from you know the first five years of the company. And we basically bet it all on building a software platform and, and it's called Nucleus. And that was the pivot we made and building software is, is, is a beast because we're five years in and I feel like we're just kind of getting to like the first full realized version of that platform. And, and it's been profitable since the first week of it being launched to the world. And so even with that, the five years of getting here and then working with partners and bringing on engineers and me learning to manage 
skill sets that I don't have myself. That was a new journey as well. So that was kind of the big pivot. Hey, it worked out really well. I'm so glad we we did it and uh, you know, go through the pandemic, go through some economic downturns and the, the business has continued to grow and the upward trajectory has continued. I'm quite certain <laughs> looking back, if we hadn't made that shift, I don't know where the business would be today if we were still trying to like sell eBooks and, and that sort of thing. Pausing the conversation with Brady to talk about transformation because it can feel like a bit of a buzzword these days. What does transformation even look like? But one place transformation is really evident is in the stories of former Compassion sponsored children. That's like the grads or the alumni of the Compassion programs. They're now adults and they're telling stories of how it impacted them. So like Rhea, for example, from the Philippines has this impactful line that says, knowing someone cares for you, it changes you. Rhea's story powerfully highlights how being a sponsored built Christ-like confidence. It built confidence in her that empowered her to hold, take hold of her future free from poverty. Today, she's passionate and an advocate for kids and sponsors a child of her own from the same community where she grew up. I love the story of Rhea. Knowing someone cares for you, that changes you. So child sponsorship transforms lives and it makes generational ripples of impact. You can find out more about Rhea's full story and learn about all kinds of other kids just like her who've grown up, come through the Compassion Program at compassion.ca slash if dash only. Compassion.ca slash if only. The link will be down in the show notes. Now back to the conversation with Brady. Okay, so then will I say because you don't think there's too many eBooks, like it's a saturated market, or you say that because like you just, your heart wasn't in anymore. You didn't want to do eBooks anymore. Um, or do you just fundamentally think it was a bad, uh, you know, you can't make money doing the courses and the eBooks and the whatever. No, it's just really the different nature of those two products. Like you have to keep selling to the same audience or you have to keep finding new customers to sell that same ebook or creating new ebooks. Whereas with uh, website software, donation software, people management software, churches will pay that on a recurring basis. And yes, it's more difficult to maybe acquire those customers. But once you have them, the churn rate is very low because churches are going to still need websites. Churches are still going to need to process online donations. And so it was more the stability uh, of those products versus the others and it was it was tiring creatively to like okay we got to do another launch to sell another course or another ebook i mean we did this pretty preemptively and it wasn't like you turn on one product you turn off another there was always this transition period and so uh it's not like i ever got bored but now looking back and who knows maybe this is you know revisionist history looking looking backwards like feels like that wouldn't have been a sustainable uh, profit stream, especially when it was the dominant profit stream for us. Yeah. Well, and I just think, you know, the, I don't know, you know, who you were having these conversations with, but saying like, essentially you're talking about, you took a million dollar risk and, and risk is maybe, maybe there, maybe there's a, a, a calculated risk, you, a thoughtful risk, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, like what kinds, you know, and then, and then I would imagine some of the people who were on the team who did the one thing, uh, I don't know, but could they come do the new thing? Like, like you hire people for one thing and now you're saying, okay, we're going to invest a million bucks into building something entirely different. And we need different people to do that. 
Um, or hey to your wife, like, hey, what do you think about us spending a million bucks on this thing? You know, I, I guess I'm curious about some of those those harder conversations or the the ones you said, like, yeah, let's go for it. Like, I'm thinking, you know, the, for those leaders and churches that are listening who who are thinking about taking a huge financial investment to try something new because what we've what got us to here won't get us to the next thing. So yeah, what was that? I don't know if you can look back at when you before as you were making that decision and that leap. Um, what were some of the conversations around that? Sure. So se- there's several principles at play. One of them is like understanding what your own unfair advantages are. Like, okay, we're making a risk here, but absolutely, yes, these were calculated risks. And I was comfortable making them because I knew we had an audience that was going to back us no matter what we did on a product side. And that's mm-hmm. because I have been like building trust with our audience of, you know, tens of thousands of church leaders over uh, at that point, it'd been five years. Now it's been a decade to the point where if we spin up a new product or announce a new endeavor, I'm pretty confident that they will be willing to like invest in that without demonstrable proof or a long history of that product existing. Case in point, when we launched Nucleus in 2017, we had a thousand churches sign up for paid memberships in the first week because we're like, hey, we built this new software. And they're like, you know what? We're pretty confident. It might not be perfect, but we're confident that Brady will lead this to a place that will be helpful for us. And I think they were correct on both fronts. You know, like the text editor famously in our own internal circles, wrote backwards when you signed into Nucleus in that first week. <laughs> that's like, awesome. Just complete dysfunction. <laughs> I mean, not awesome, but that's funny. Yeah. But now like, going forward, like we have, if you go to nucleus.church slash results, I think is the, the URL. That's where we like put all of our testimonies. And there's just like dozens and dozens of churches that have reached out and been like, hey, we use your software. It has resulted in more next steps more active participation, more people getting involved in our church, which is really the, the core promise behind Nucleus. And that's what it's all about. Like, and oh, we've been with you for this many years. What's, I mean, this is a really great testimony to that. The first church that ever paid us money was this church from Jacksonville, Florida. And I distinctly remember it because I remember the email coming through and this was for video announcements like 10 years ago. Like, hey, this church has signed up. I was like, oh my gosh, I call my mom because my wife is at work. And uh, mom, uh, I made money on the internet. And she's like, oh my gosh, you did it. <laughs> like you, you actually, made, someone paid you money. I was like, it's just one, but if I can get one, I can get 10. If I can get 10, you know, yeah, and that yeah. church is still using now Nucleus. So they've like, they graduated from video announcements. They started doing them themselves. They're still a customer of ours. They've been our very first ever customer and they're still paying us every single month. And that's just one example, but there are thousands of churches that support us in that way. So that was our unfair advantage where I knew, I was like, I think we can make this profitable. Yes, we'll invest a ton up front, but I think cash flow wise, we can get it profitable right away. And, and again, that's kind of like, you know, digging your well before you need it because before it was ever producing revenue or producing anything, I was publishing blog posts and podcasts for my mom to read, essentially listen to, and no one else. And eventually that turned into something valuable, like an asset. But at the beginning, nothing. And so a lot of it is like investing first and, you know, then, or, you know, planting first and harvesting later. So that was one of the, uh, the unfair advantages, like one of the principles. Um, the other principle when it comes to people working and them changing their roles, uh, 
a unique thing about our company is everyone that works in the Canadian office, so everyone that works under like the official Pro Church Tools Inc. division, um, like we're all we've been friends for a long time. Like I met most of them in high school. None of us have experience in any of this, um, and I hired them because I was like, hey, I want to kind of bring my friends along with me. Uh, so another value we have at our company is called uh, the family that you choose, and and the idea is that like. A lot of times as adults, you have to say goodbye to relationships because the forces of life uh, require it. You got to move to get another job. You, you know, your friend moves away because their career or whatever it might be. And growing up, I I remember like none of my friends or my, uh, none of my parents, not my parents, nor my friend's parents seem to have like close friendships. It's like you have kids and your career becomes a thing. It's something like you just, you, you lose touch. And that was something that I really didn't want to happen. And so I thought, okay, like first thing I wanted was freedom of time for me and my family. Okay, my wife is no longer working two jobs. That's great. She no longer comes home. You mentioned my wife. She no longer comes home to me sitting in a bathroom being like, I got the WordPress site up. And she's like, yeah, I spent eight hours at insurance. I'm going to go work at Zara retail all night. But congrats on you and your WordPress site. You know, there was a lot of faith <laughs> early in those uh, years. First year of the business was also first year of marriage. So uh, wow. yeah. But then also, then it was like, okay, how do I translate this to my friends? Like, can I bring them along for the ride? And can we like stay as this close unit, the family that you choose? And so, yeah, when we shifted from productized services, agency work to like software, uh, that was a big change. And a lot of them went from like video editors to customer support people. Um, that was like one of the changes. There was plenty of others, but uh, we've never had anyone transition except for two people. One uh, moved away to a different country and another went to start uh, his own agency. So we never had to let anyone go, never had anyone transition aside from like them wanting to move on to like the next phase of their life. And uh, I mean, I might be more proud of that than the fact wow. that the software gamble worked off, worked out. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about people listening, you know, uh, a lot, not all, but lots of people who have like church work experience. And if not, they can appreciate this complexity of, and I found this too, like you're in work relationship with people, personal relationships, your family's involved. If they go to the church, your, uh, your, I don't know, your pastor is maybe also your boss. I, I'm just speaking to, there's complexity in relationships when you're working with people who you have other kinds of relationships with. Um, so what would be some of the ways that maybe do you have a tip for people who, cause that's a lot of us, I think listening are dealing with people who they have a work and some other kind of relationship. Uh, like maybe like what's a, what's one of your approaches to communication or conflict management or, you know, those kind of things. Cause you're talking about long-term stick with it crew on your team. That's really kind of remarkable. Yeah. And it's interesting, like, let's say we're 30 now and we were 20 when we all started, like people change a lot in that time as well. And so the person that you hired or me, even the boss, am I the same person that I was 10 years ago? No. And so irrespective of the depth of the relationship, like people also change and they evolve and they grow. Uh, I'll go back to one of the values we have at our company. Um, this one is say the quiet part out loud. Uh, and the whole point of that is like, we value speaking plainly. Uh, we, we, you know, what we're trying to do is ambitious. We kind of recognize that. And fundamentally, we just don't believe in trying to hide the real thing that we're trying to say. And so what we've tried to do is foster 
a atmosphere where like we don't let bitterness simmer. We don't let conflict get resolved in an incomplete way. Like we don't take the shortcut to like, no, no, it's all fine when things aren't really fine. You know, practically this looks like an employee coming over two weeks ago, Friday night to my house at 10 PM. And like him and I are hashing things out because he's like, I got to say the quiet part out loud. I don't think I understood what you said. And it kind of hurt my feelings. Like, and we had to resolve that. And I said to him, look, it's really good that you did this because most people would just let this simmer because it's not worth the confrontation because the confrontation is so uncomfortable. I'm just going to like, whatever, it, it's fine. Water under the bridge, but it's not really. And if you're yeah. trying to have relational longevity, which is what the whole point of the family you choose, that value is, then you have to basically look each other in the eye when conflict happens. Because when you're with, so- when you're with someone like in any relationship for years and years and decades, Like think of marriage or think of like long-term partners. There's that person doing that thing again. They always do. Yeah. Like it's not like, oh, let's avoid conflict. It's, it's unavoidable. So how are you going to handle it well when it does happen? And so, you know, we, we've had to develop a plan for that because otherwise things do go unsaid. The, the path of least resistance is incomplete conflict resolution. Hey, you know what? Yeah, we're both fine. Move on. And we're like, no, we're just not going to tolerate that. Yeah. Um, Maybe as a sort of an offshoot of that, uh, one of the things I know you for online is you have moments, not all the time, but you do these like clapback moments where, you know, you have a lot of followers, so you probably get a lot of positive and negative, positive, negative, neutral feedback through social media, comments, DMs, whatever. Um, when do you decide, <laughs> is it just in the moment? Like, you're just like, this guy's yes. annoying me today. You know, what, is there, is there any thought you have behind that? You know, cause everybody listening is going to get these comments sometimes if they're, if they're running an account, uh, how do you, how do you decide what's worth? Cause there's the risk of like, well, what if this is a customer or what if this is someone now I have a, you know, you offend for, and they're part of the community or I don't know, whatever. How do you figure that how do you navigate those conflicts and criticisms online? Well, I don't think I've always done it well. I don't know if I still do it well now, but there are two distinct categories. Like one is the the category of like, oh, there there's like a real theological difference here or there is a real political difference. There's a real, oh, you're, you're from a different country than I am. And we have completely different worldviews just in that respect, even though we claim the same faith. So that kind of stuff I tend to, well, nowadays anyway, try to tread a bit more carefully on. The other category is what I call faux outrage, which is where (laughs) it's completely inconsequential to everyday life. And that's where I do have a lot of fun. So, you know, one of them recently that is ongoing is uh, I use um, a Rode Wireless Go microphone when I'm recording my TikTok videos. And Uh, If you're unfamiliar with that piece of camera gear, it's this little tiny square that is a microphone. So it can clip onto your collar and work as a lapel mic, Um, but you can also hold it. And it's this tiny little microphone. And so it looks really funny because like if you're used to a pastor preaching with a microphone, like, oh, that's a regular sized Sure, SM58 or whatever. And this is like this tiny little microphone. And so people get really pressed in the comments. Like, what is, why is your mic so small? And so then that, out of that kind of ridiculous comment, uh, came Team Tiny Mike, which was, you know, this grassroots <laughs> movement amongst our audience <laughs> where we were like, we're like, you know, we're not going to take this slander. And yes, our mics may be tiny, but we are mighty and we are one and we stand <laughs> together. And so, 
anytime someone comments on that, I, at least recently, this is like, you know, the flavor of the month for faux outrage, just go out of our way. Because the other part is like, look, church media is kind of dull as a content like category, you know, right? Like it is easy to drive clicks in sports with hot takes and politics with hot takes. Like church media is like, ah, that camera sucks is about as, you know, inflammatory as it gets. Yeah. So you have to generate this faux outrage every so often. Yes. There's a strategic element to this, you know, for the sake of engagement. And so, you know, whether it's me saying to Americans that Chick-fil-A is dramatically overrated or getting worked up about team tiny Mike or whatever the flavor of the week or the month is, uh, in the faux outrage category, I do feel pretty free to, you know, run wild and have some fun. It's not that I won't address uh, the more serious topics because, again, that value of say the quiet part out loud, that doesn't just apply internally, but it, quite, uh, it applies externally as well. It's like, hey, there are... I don't know why this was, but I this is something I noticed right away when I started creating content 10 years ago is that church creators or creators in this church space tend to sidestep anything that is a confrontational or with conflict. And I was like, look, that's just not my personality. And I also don't think like it's always healthy. And and so like, we're going to talk about the stuff that is happening behind the scenes. We're going to talk about the stuff that people would prefer to sidestep because it's more comfortable and doing that in a delicate way, doing that with integrity is part of maybe what I've been, what I've learned over the 10 years. Cause you know, I've definitely uh, had like moments where I've done it flippantly, which isn't effective nor like useful for anyone. Uh, so yeah, Chick-fil-A overrated. <laughs> uh, I live very close to Chick-fil-A and of course I only ever feel like eating it on Sundays. It's this classic Chick-fil-A problem. I'm like, <laughs> the, the you know what I could really go Chick-fil-A. for today is like a chicken, a spicy chicken sandwich. And I'm like, ah, it's Sunday. It's closed. Uh, anyways. Um, yeah, and, and would you say this is part of uh, how you've grown an audience online? I mean, on I'm talking about the the social media audience. Um, like you're you're trying to entertain too. There's something about what you're doing that's not you're you're trying to take some stuff that can be pretty boring about like you know Sony versus Canon cameras. There's lots of videos on the internet already about that. Or I don't know if you've literally made that video or not, but but it's a bit dry. And so um, do you think that's been Team one of Sony. the difference makers? Yeah, for you? Team Sony. <laughs> Team Canon over here. But uh, Oh, look, I didn't like, even realize. Look, here's the tiny mic. It's right here. Look how tiny this mic is. There so it is. This is me talking Everybody, to the mic. Sorry, if you're, if you're yeah, watching, if, yeah. Uh, most people are just listening, but if you go to the YouTube channel... Yeah, you'll see it. Sorry, when I yelled um, Team Sony, I was holding up a Sony camera. Apologies for not <laughs> considering the audio medium. I'm a podcast listener and people do that. And I'm like, no one knows what you're doing, man. You got to explain that. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, is this like part of the, is it part of your approach? Is like, even in what you're seeing from other industries, like trying to to make uh, the content, I don't mean like you're stirring up controversy to stir it up, but like you're you're thinking about, how to entertain or engage uh, the audience in that way. I guess on the growth side of like what keeps people coming back or wanting to click follow. Sure. There's uh, a common refrain in the church world that like how you draw people in is how you need to keep them. So if you're a church that like draws people in with like uh, an extravagant presentation, like that's how you need to keep them for the long run. So, Uh, And I do think there's merit to that. 
I would say that we, we, we try to invert that, at least with our content online, which is the way we draw people in is by organic search. People like typing, how to make my website for my church better. That's how we get people. People find us because they have a problem and we have created a piece of content to solve that problem. No one's looking for hot takes or like, you know, funny <laughs> discourse on these things. Huh. They're looking to solve their problem. So that's how we get them. We get them with the content and then we tend to keep them like with my character, which is like, hey, we're, we're going to try to make the. I, I'm trying to be charismatic on camera, uh, on the microphone so that like you're learning and becoming a better communicator at your church, learning to navigate this world of digital in a ministry context. But it's also not dry and it's not dull. And, and, and it's, we have some fun. Like if you go to the reviews on, on the pro church tool show, our podcast, common observation from our listeners is like, I learn a lot. And these guys are like, they're fun. Like I have a co-host like, oh, they, and, and they make me laugh too. And so instead of bringing people in with the hot takes, which I don't think would be a sustainable model, we bring people yeah. in with like, Hey, we're here to help you. We're here to, you know, train you. Uh, but also hopefully you won't find this uh, tedious and unenjoyable. Pausing the conversation because I want to thank our sponsor, the Canadian organization that has been serving churches and charities for nearly 50 years. It's the Canadian Center for Christian Charities, or commonly known as the Four C's. Maybe you've heard of the Four C's. They support charities with their operational questions in areas like receiving donations, CRA guidance, board leadership, and training. Joining their membership is simple and affordable, and it provides churches and charities with a vast knowledge base, basically a team of professionals added to your staff team that are willing to help you whenever you need them. And maybe you're a board member or an elder. The Four C's membership is great and an affordable investment for you into your ministry staff team and volunteers. Visit cccc.org to learn more and to join them. The link will be down in the show notes as well. Um, and so what are you seeing when, whether those are like literally the things people are Googling or just when you're talking to church after church all the time, you're getting these DMs, what are you seeing now, 2022, what are some of the biggest and biggest needs and questions of churches? And may I also say like, what are some of the red herrings is maybe the follow-up question, like questions that people are asking and they're missing the point. <laughs> like, yeah. like they're focused on the wrong thing. Biggest ones have, uh, even through the pandemic, have remained the same, which is uh, live streaming and church stage design. If you look at our YouTube channel, sort through most popular videos, there are more, there, I think there are a total of 600 videos on that channel. And you can sort through most popular, stage design, and live streaming, both of which I would describe perfectly, as you said, as red herrings. Uh, these things that get grossly overvalued in our churches and don't demonstrably lead to the same level of effectiveness and fulfillment of mission in our ministries. And so it's a bit of a love-hate relationship with those content categories. I create content periodically on those topics because I know churches are searching for it and I know that they're asking for it. And so, you know, <laughs> leadership thing I, I've often, I often reflect on, which is like one step ahead, you're a leader, two steps ahead, you're a martyr. And so like, there's a lot that I would, I would want churches to do, but like, I can't just demand that they do it my way all the time because like, Hey, like that's a bit idealistic or, you know, my situation is different or whatever it might be. And so th those two are the biggest for sure 
stage design is the really funniest one. Like I understand live streaming. You can go watch my video. Uh, why church live streaming is still overrated, you know, in 2022. Uh, I think that really what, uh, it sums up my thoughts on that pretty well. The stage design one is funny. Like churches still want, you know, the, the, the great You're talking about stage. like literally like the decoration of like yeah. the neon cross or the, yeah. the backdrop with the wood panels or like that kind of thing. Yeah. And not like, oh yeah, historically those were our most well-performing videos. No, like this week they were still our most well-performing videos. <laughs> Yeah. And so maybe then the follow, so if there's, these are some of the red herrings, you know, and out of your personal conviction, what are, what do you think are actually the greatest needs right now in the church? Because, okay, maybe they, what, what brought them in is the thing about the live stream, but as you're talking to like the, the thing behind the thing, what are the pain points or the things that you're seeing churches you're talking to? Um, yeah, just like struggling with or, uh, yeah, just like working through right now. I think what's a lot the, of the, the real need. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I think a lot of the, like the techniques and the strategies end up being window dressing for what's actually happening below the surface. You know, one of the needs that I deeply resonate with churches on is post pandemic ish. How do we do online and in person together? And and so the biggest thing for churches is finding ways to accurately measure fulfillment of mission at your church. So for years, we've elevated attendance as our key metric for evaluating mission. Uh, but the world is very different nowadays and attendance at its best is you know one step removed from what our churches are really trying to accomplish. Like if you think, okay, why does our church exist? Affecting life change, helping people to love God, love people, make disciples, some combination of the greatest commandments and the great commission. Maybe we've turned it into a pithy phrase, but we're all trying to do the same thing essentially as churches. Okay, how do we measure, how do we quantify fulfillment of that mission? You know, you churches might be resistant to the idea of like, we're, we want to grow, we want more numbers, but, and that's fair. But what we all need as churches is we need to be fulfilling our mission. Like, I don't want to just be going through the motions as a church. Uh, we exist to help people, to affect life change, to bring heaven to earth. How do we quantify that? And so every conversation eventually gets to how are you measuring fulfillment of mission at your church? And sometimes churches are resistant to admit it. But for most of us, attendance is the best thing that we have. And like I said, uh, Attendance can't tell you if more people in your church are like Jesus today than they were a year ago. All it can really tell you is are people coming each week? And really, are more people coming this week than they were last year at this time? Which in no way is is a holistic look into our ministries and whether or not we're uh, getting where we want to go. And so the replacement we recommend to churches is something we call next steps. And uh, next step is really any type of uh, action a person can take in your church where they're getting involved. And, and so we have this whole article, YouTube video called The New Rules for Church Growth. And it basically outlines like here, this is how we think you should measure and quantify growth in your church. Growth being really just fulfillment of mission, not more people hmm. necessarily. Be, that's one part of it, but also the people you already have becoming more like Christ. The great thing about next steps is that it can be a metric used to evaluate online ministry. It can be a metric used in in-person ministry. And now what we have is a single metric 
that applies to all expressions of church that currently exist. And now we can work together with both online and in person to see more people taking next steps, more people joining small groups, more people giving, more people submitting prayer requests, more people signing up to be baptized, more people attending in-person events, online events, in-person services, online services, more people praying for others, you know, more people signing up to join, lead, whatever it might be. We want churches full of active participants, not passive spectators. And I think the greatest, the thing that just grieves me so much right now is that a lot of church is about content consumption and not making disciples. And as much as that is 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 popular, like for me, I, I could do a lot better, I think, with my content creation if I focused on like, hey, here's how to make like your service like just a bit better looking and sounding and all that. To me, what I want to affect is demonstrable change in how we measure fulfillment of mission, moving away from stuff like attendance, embracing something like next steps so that we, we can become less about content consumption and more about disciple making. And so there, that, that is my soapbox. So maybe it's an obvious, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll start to land the plane here. Maybe this is obvious, but I'd like you to, to say it, meaning like let's not have people read between lines. What is at stake here? Like when you're talking about this idea of this approach to next steps, how we measure um, health, growth of a church, uh, and we're looking at like the radical changes of the last couple of years, especially, uh, what do you think is at stake for the churches who aren't able to make the, because we talked about your own pivots, these million dollar pivots that you made, uh, big risks. What are some, what's at, what's at stake if people aren't able to make these kinds of pivots in into the next five and 10 years? Well, I mean, every, like, every church is trying to figure out right now, like, how can we just stay afloat? And when I say every church, I mean, you know, recognizing that the mass, the mass majority of churches are around 100 people, you know, about 90% are 300 or fewer. And so, you know, most churches are trying to navigate a vastly changing landscape where, the world of digital has disrupted every single industry. Churches are not immune to this. Church attendance has been on decline since 2010, you know, according to Barna and Pew, well before the pandemic. The pandemic simply served as an accelerator. And, mm-hmm. and so when I think about what's at stake, one of my like guiding principles is that I, I don't think the church is at risk of of like going anywhere. Uh, I do think individual churches certainly are at risk. And what we're what to make matters even more challenging, the average lead pastor, Protestant world in, in the states at least, is around sixty years old. And so they're trying to figure out how do we pass the torch to the next generation. Without it ending in a moral failure, public. Well, I mean that's 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 its own thing. That (laughs) also. I'm laughing, but it's not funny. Yeah. How do we pass the torch to the next generation? Our congregation, though, right now is like 90 percent seniors as it is. So, like, sure, we want our church to continue its legacy into the next generation, but we also want to serve our existing congregation, which is mostly 60 year olds. Like, do and so like. I don't think there's an easy answer there. Like, I think it's okay for some churches to say, look, we have been with these people for 30, 40 years. And sure, they're in their 60s or 70s now, but they've still got 10, 20, 30 years left on on this earth. Yeah, maybe we just want to like have our church run it out with these people. And another church will be planted and take its place, but not every church is going to figure out this massive shift. 
at the end of the day, though, like I couldn't run my organization if I didn't have a laser focus on the key metrics that allow us to, going back to that value, clear the runway. Our, our organization is able to do a lot of pretty amazing things only because we have the freedom to make those choices. Like the freedom to gamble on, let's say, the software, knowing that the worst case scenario was we would still have been, we still had like contingency plans. And so same goes for a church. Like if you don't have ways to properly evaluate like whether or not your church is growing, whether or not your church is healthy, because we've been using attendance for so long, which is just not going to give us an accurate holistic picture into the growth or health of our churches, it's really difficult to properly lead through such a tumultuous time if you don't even have reliable indicators of your church's internal health. And so that's why I always get back to, in these conversations, how are you evaluating effectiveness? You've got to substitute, ideally replace but supplement is fine as a start, <laughs> attendance for something more holistic like next steps so that you can properly evaluate what's working and what's not. Because a lot of like navigating this shift is realizing what is actually bringing about results in fulfillment of mission and what is just like, well, we've been doing this because it's tradition, because we've always done it. Is it effective anymore? Like as a practical example, like churches, shifting them away from like printing out and the distributing flyers at Easter in, in for Facebook ads, as an example, like it's really difficult for a lot of churches. Like, well, we've been doing flyers. We've been like flyering our, our neighborhoods for 20 for years. 20 Why are we going to do this Facebook yeah. ads? But well, what if I could tell you that the Facebook ads would be demonstrably more effective and cost saving? Well, is that worth it? And so then that gets into like, well, we've always done it this way, which is its own challenge. And, and yeah. we have a lot of content on helping leaders navigate Stuff like that. But, uh, you know, n- none of this is easy conversations either. Like you've been doing something your whole life as a leader and now you have some, you know, 31 year old guy being like, use the Internet. And like, man, you, what do you know? I've been doing <laughs> church for 40 years. I have I know yeah. way more about leading and shepherding. I'll forget more about shepherding today than you'll ever know. So, hmm. yeah. OK, uh, as we wrap up here, I have a few just fun questions. We ask mm-hmm. everybody who comes on. First one is. Uh, best spot to travel. I know you like to travel. So best spot to travel that people probably don't know about, like, like, um, you know, like a hidden gem that you love that you would want to send people to. Sure. So, uh, I mean, I've been to Iceland a couple of times. That's pretty popular now. Everyone knows it, it's awesome. If you do go to Iceland, uh, most people stay in like one spot. And so I'd recommend getting out uh, to the East side, going up to the West fjords, getting into the, uh, the interior, Landman Alauger, and, and the the roads outside of the Ring Road, which is this one highway that drives all yeah. the way around. So there's lots of cool places there that most people don't get to outside of the Instagram spots. Uh, but like, you know, one place I just I love and I cannot wait to go back is Utah, which really a lot of people they don't <laughs> like Utah. The desert of Utah, Moab, and like places around there into. Uh, into the Navajo land. Like there is no, I've been to a lot of places and I've never seen landscape like that. The red desert in Utah is unlike really anywhere I've ever been. I only got to spend five days there. We did a, we drove all the way from Vegas up to Moab and back tons of driving and just 
really memorable time there. So I'll say Utah because it's probably accessible for a lot of people listening. You know, it's one, it's a flight to Denver, four hour drive from there to Moab. And uh, the desert there is very, very cool. (laughs) Okay. What? I love that answer. What's a book that changed how you think about something? I read the uh, the E Myth Revisited when I was probably about two years into running the business, and the thesis of that book was: okay, you need to stop doing everything as a leader and figuring out what you can delegate versus what you need to keep doing. And I would say that really changed the trajectory of the business. The E Myth Revisited. Awesome, a movie that has made you cry. Oh, Arrival, probably. I, I definitely mm. cried at Arrival with uh, with uh, the aliens when they come. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that was a good one. Okay, the, the last one is uh, you're going into an ice cream shop. You got like at least 50 flavors, you know, like the sure. classic ice cream shop. What's your go-to? Yeah, so we went to Avondale Dairy Bar last night, which is a famous Niagara-on-the-Lake ice cream spot. If you're ever down here, definitely t- check it out. And... Uh, I, I made such a mistake because I was like, you know what? I always get the same thing. And so I was like, I'm going to go with Moose Tracks today. And Moose Tracks is great. If you don't know, it's got uh, peanut butter and chocolate and vanilla. It's really great. I don't know if it's a Canadian flavor, if Core the Dairy made it up. You know, Moose, obviously Canadian. I don't know. If you have it in the States, <laughs> congrats. And I put it in a cone, in a waffle cone, because I always put my ice cream in a cone. Big mistake. All my life, I have wondered, Joanna, why do people get ice cream in cups? What's that about? They do it because they get a savory flavor, one that does not need a cone <laughs> next to it. My whole life, I've never gotten savory flavors. Here are my three <laughs> flavors, all right? Because I'm a child. Number one, bubble gum. Number two, cotton candy. And number three, cake batter, birthday cake, whatever it is. Those go great in a waffle cone because they're very sweet. You get the savory of the waffle cone. So yesterday, I'm eating my moose tracks in my waffle cone, and my friends are with me, and I'm visibly irritated. And I'm like, this ice cream is great. I should have got it in a cup. So there is my ice cream choices and stories. Uh, just clearly. Sweet in a cone. No, sweet yes. in a cone. Uh, or savory, savory in a cup. Savory in a cup. There we you go. You don't need the savory cone with the savory flavor. It's redundant. This is hot takes with Brady Shearer. There we go. <laughs> Brady, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today. Um, where do you want to send people to, to, you know, we've talked about a ton of things that you're working on. Where do you want to send people? Yeah, if you like podcasts, the Pro Church Tools Show every Wednesday. Uh, you can also just search my name at Brady Shearer on any platform you like. If you're a YouTube person, if you're into TikTok, if you're more into Instagram or Twitter, I, I'm all of those places. So your your choice. Find me where you like to uh, follow people. Thanks, Brady. Thank you. Brady, thank you so much for that conversation. It was great to get to know him a little bit over the podcast. Next week on the podcast, we have Idolette McVicker. She's the author of a new book called Recovering Racist. She comes from an Afrikaans background. She's an immigrant to Canada. She's uh, the wife of a restaurateur and she's a founder of She Loves Magazine. So we're going to be talking to her next week in a broad ranging conversation around what her life has shown her as she has recovered her own racial prejudices. Thank you so much to our sponsors, to Compassion Canada, 
and to the Four Seas Canadian Centre for Christian Charities for making this podcast possible. As we always say, we want to see you day to day on the Digital Church Facebook group. That's where we'll hang out, answer questions, post questions, engage you with what's going on in all things digital church and discipleship. And also, of course, this YouTube channel we have, if you haven't gone there yet, if you're listening to the audio version only, you're missing out on all that's going on in the video versions of not only this podcast, but a huge back catalog of our podcasts and tutorials coming out every week for free to help you get better at what you do. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world. 